0: How do you you keep a team moving? It's momentum. You kind of come to a grinding halt with one product iteration. It's really important in my view to like have those clear conversations around the business that you need to have, around reducing staff numbers in certain areas to give yourself enough sort of runway to to get out the other side. And then be really clear about the fact that the problem is a big one, it still exists. There's a really red hot market here for that problem. We just need to iterate on the product and get moving.
1: All right, everybody. Welcome back to Founder Vision with Clearview. Today I'm speaking with Joel Robbie. He's the co founder and CEO of Nod, noddocs.com. How are you doing today, Joel?
0: I'm good, thank you. Nice to be here.
1: Yeah, excellent. Me too. So tell me a little bit about Noddocs. What are you doing over there?
0: These days we call ourselves a connected task space. Uh, and so what does that mean? Um, ultimately, we work with professional services businesses, so lawyers, accountants, financial planners who Uh, need to connect a bunch of different jobs to be done uh, in their workflow to deliver advice for a client. So they might be collecting data, they might be writing an advice document, um, which can be reasonably thick. Uh, They might be referring their client onto another professional. And so what we've done is we've built a a software platform that allows them to seamlessly connect the data in all of those tasks down that chain of tasks. So they're not manually entering data, they're not re-keying information. Uh, and also to automate the documents that they produce. So um, we provide a no-code document automation environment, which allows them to set up automated templates wherever they are, um, produce sometimes 100 page documents uh, in in record time, um, and and connect their world and get visibility over all those jobs that have been done in the firm for the first time. So um, in most of these practices, we're um, replacing the Microsoft stack um, to do this, um, and moving all that kind of file-based document work into a digital environment, which allows us to connect data from task to task and automate it. So, so that's not a connected mm. task space.
1: How did you come to recognizing this this need?
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, just I'm going to have to talk a little bit about the history of the business uh, to to answer that question. We. Um, we initially started life as a marketplace business um so this was back uh sort of 2012 13 something like that i can't really remember how long how long it's been now um but we were looking at you know uber and and airbnb were sort of just on the rise in australia um marketplaces were sexy and we thought well what if we could build a marketplace where we connected experts um who knew a lot about money like a financial planner or an accountant with someone who had a question about money. Uh, My family had gone through um, a reasonably traumatic experience. Uh, My dad had uh, terminal cancer as it turned out. Um, My uh, mum and dad decided to buy this restaurant in this really competitive part of Sydney in Australia uh, and um, remortgage the house to do it. Um, and it, um, you know, it was, a, it was a money pit. It didn't go well. Uh, and so I was, I was thinking a fair bit about, oh, you know, what if, um, what if people like my mom and dad could get easy access to help to pull them out of these situations or before they went into these situations, that was the initial genesis of the marketplace. We got into that marketplace, took it through an accelerator program here in Sydney called H2 Ventures. Um, that uh, kind of led us to the, the conclusion that the marketplace wasn't really going to work unless we automated the advisor's back office. Um, and so that um, that would became just an obvious, we had 150 advisors working on the platform. They were all saying the same thing. We've got to produce a 100-page document in Australia to give financial advice. It's a highly regulated industry. If you don't automate that process for us, your marketplace isn't going to work. So we pivoted at that point. At the end of that accelerator program, Uh, into building what was just then a document automation platform uh, to automate the document that got immediate um, uh, sort of traction, I suppose. Uh, And we signed up a whole bunch of customers, grew really quickly, um, raised a bunch of money. We built it as an AI driven platform. So we were learning from historical documents in the practice to how to produce new ones. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, and it kind of went from there. So yeah, it was really sort of just kind of following the founder rabbit hole. Uh, initially started with the hypothesis on the marketplace business that didn't sort of pan out because um, of just some kind of first principles technical barriers uh, in in the industry. Followed the rabbit hole, decided to solve that problem first, and and now we are a B two B SaaS which automates documents and does a whole bunch of other things as a connected task space.
1: Hmm. So do you still do the uh, the like the document generation with AI, how does how does that work for something that is so specifically structured as a legal document?
0: Yeah, so we don't. Um, so we we built a um, a really uh, powerful platform. Actually, it actually worked technically quite well. Um, so you know, a, a financial planner would give us hundreds of their previous um, sort of statements of advice. They're called. Um, We had this really nice NLP system, which would break that content down into its heading structure. It would apply labels to things like what's the strategy of the advice and different things automatically. So we had this really kind of quite cool engine um, that would allow us to produce these documents. Um, And so um, uh, there's a lot of, once you see enough documents, there's actually a fair bit of commonality between advice. Uh, and the same would be true of mm-hmm. legal. You see enough contracts, you're going to start to see some common threads uh, in terms of you know clauses that get produced, um, you know content that gets produced into these documents. So you can get to the topic reasonably easy. Um, and then you've got to work down into creating a corpus of language that, a, that an individual firm wants to use, uh, which is where their historical documents came in. Um, so that, 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 that'll work quite well. What we really struggled with was, was end user adoption. So our, our initial hypothesis was that you know if we gave this technology to the financial planner, they would they would be able to sort of um, reduce their reliance on back office staff who typically perform these functions. You know, there's, there's teams and teams and teams of paraplanners, paralegals, these sorts of these sorts of roles. Um, but they, what what turned out is that they ended up giving it to the paralegals and paraplanners, and and we we found. Um, our platform as an AI driven platform relied on the power planner editing that doc- that document to teach our platform kind of what, what was wrong about the initial generation or what was right. Um, but we could not get the power planner to do that first edit. Um, it was a mm. black it was a black box, they couldn't control um, what came out of the machine, they couldn't uh, you know, in their in their world, they couldn't fix the machine. So if it came out with an incorrect piece of content, sure they could edit the document, but they couldn't see why it was wrong. They couldn't, you know, fix the back end template. Um, they didn't know how many edits they would have to do before it started to you know, Im- improve and, and, and adjust itself. Um, and so we found that initial engagement from the actual end user, the document creator, uh, to be ultimately an insurmountable challenge. And so we pivoted again to a more um, digital document, digital template, no code template automation, but ultimately a rules-driven system that the that the end user controls. And that's gone really well, um, but it's taken us a while to get here.
1: Yeah, I got it. So the, the ai driven components sort of required too much training on the user's behalf.
0: I, to, to be honest, it actually probably wouldn't have, um, in, in terms of time. Like, it actually would have worked you know, the way we'd set it up. It would have probably started to improve quite quickly. Um, but that initial... They just weren't it, willing to do that to begin yeah, with. Yeah, it was just this user, yeah. user, kind of user experience thing that we hadn't anticipated. And that's that's on us, right? But we hadn't done the work to really understand and, and test with the end user. Um, you know, if we... If we, if you, will you edit this thing? And even when we did do the testing, they said, "Yeah, sure, yeah." And then when we actually gave it to them, they, they just, you know, it did, it, it, it didn't happen. So, um, uh, yeah. So that was, that was a real challenge. It was, it was a user experience thing where I don't want to edit something where I don't know kind of where the end of this path is. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas in my, my Microsoft Word manual driven work, sure, it takes me eight hours per document, and you're saying you can save me seven of those, but I know where the end of this path is in Microsoft Word, and. Uh, I don't know mm-hmm. where the end of your path is, so I'm just gonna st- stay over here. So that was the mindset we yeah, were yeah. It's start- like a
1: yeah. It's like a like a front-end loading of all the manual work that everyone hates, with a unclear yeah finish line. Yeah, I can see how that could not be very sticky. Yeah, correct. So you so you then pivoted more to like this the rules-based approach, uh, and you started to gain some traction. Tell me a little bit about that that transition that you experienced from like not, not having traction to having traction. What did that initial how did you start to recognize that you were onto something in your new pivot?
0: Yeah, uh, so firstly, it was incredibly—it was an incredibly hard time for the company to do that pivot um, because we had raised a bunch of money um, and we'd built a team. We, so we, when we were selling the AI-driven platform, it was selling like hotcakes. So we're growing actually quite quickly, um, but we were seeing lots of um, you know poor product metrics churn out the back of that. Um, at the back of those sales. Uh, you know, end user adoption was was just not not where we needed to be for the majority of those customers. Um, and so uh, we had a team, uh, quite a big team at this point, because um, we'd scaled up to support the amount of customers that we had and, and to keep selling and all that sort of stuff. And, um, you know, for the company, it was a really, really tough time where we had to um, yeah, reduce staff numbers and, uh, you know, um, Uh, talk to, talk to investors, talk to, talk to staff, um, kind of come through the other side of that pivot with, you know, enough cash to keep going. All that sort of stuff was, was, it was a really complex and hard time for the, for the company. Um, but, um, and it, and it took us, uh, team did an amazing job. It took three months to, uh, rebuild the platform from the ground up. We 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 started again. So yeah, we threw out all the code basically, mm. apart from I think our login function, um, and um, and just started again and and built um, you know built uh, the editor from the ground up. Um, we 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 had a hypothesis that to connect. Data and do no-code automation in the way that we wanted to. We had to control the editing experience, um, and that meant not building on top of Microsoft Word. We actually think that one of the problems in professional services is that everyone's coding a Word document, which only you know is not is not a um, it's not a self-serve way for most professional services firms to mm-hmm. own, own their template automation journey. Um, so, um, yeah, we, we've had that as the thing we needed to build first, which we, we, we did three months to build the MVP, um, built a basic kind of rules based engine, if this, then that kind of stuff, um, connected to data fields, and, um, and put that out there in the wild. Um, luckily, we had, you know, a, a kind of good sticky cohort of five to seven customers who love that initial experience, they are used to not having that level of control. They are used to having a consultant come in, type up a bunch of VBA code to automate a Word document, which they can't control and they can't improve. Um, and so we gave them that control and that was that was quite exciting for for the right kind of cohort of people. Um, yeah. The uh, And so that got out there. Um, But then the real work started, then we had to do sort of like a year of, you know, integrating with existing systems and, and improving the editing experience and improving the way data flowed and improving the little interactions. And um, it took us a good year to get from that sort of initial five customers to to where we are now, which is sort of 3031. Um, mm-hmm. And then, um, but yeah, so that, 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 that was sort of a long and, and kind of grindy kind of product journey. We just had to get into the editor. Editors aren't hard, aren't easy to build. I'm more than happy to talk about how, how challenging that is. Um, there's a reason why Microsoft is so dominant and Google Docs is so dominant. Um, it's, it's a tough road to tread. Um, but um, yeah, did all that work, built a good experience and, and uh, we are now reaping the benefits of that. And also build ourselves a really nice asset Around which we can build um, the connected task space.
1: Hmm. So I'm curious, something back in that in that pivot where you know your team threw out all of the code and started writing something new. Yeah, how did how did motivation get affected by that? And how did you you know keep your team excited or like c- kind of keep everything together through that transition where there's just this throw everything in the waste bin and start from scratch? Even though the last time we did this, you know, it went into a dead end. How, how, do you, how do you kind of keep the faith and bring that into your team?
0: Yeah, it was hard. I think, um, yeah, it was really hard. Uh, personally difficult. Um, uh, how do we do it? Um, I, I think the key, so one, the people who really want to stay on the bus and who believe in the problem and believe, yeah, that's probably the answer to this. The people who believe in the problem will stay on the bus. That's that's sort of number one. Um, and so, it, I think the number one thing that we did right was having great people on the team who would dig in when times got really tough and, and who believed in the problem enough to kind of decide to throw it all out and solve it in a different way, it just really wanted to solve the problem. That was, the, that was sort of the number one thing. Um, number two was just sort of being really clear about, um, you know, communicating around what went wrong and communicating around... Um, you know, where did we go wrong in our product sort of hypothesis? What hypothesis was proven, disproven? Why was it disproven? If it's disproven in this way, can we actually, you know, do we have a right to, to solve it in a different way? Um, uh, you know, th- those were the the sort of conversations that we were having. It was about being really clear in our communication around, um, we. you know, we, we got we got this right, but we got... This bit wrong, Um, and um, from a first principles perspective, the only way we can sort of solve the problem in this different way that we've discovered users want is to do X, Y, and Z. Um, Yeah.
1: So being being clear on where you are, how you got to where you are, having having a strong assessment that you that you trust and a thesis for moving forward that integrates the lessons from yeah
0: yeah, but also being like having really high conviction on the problem you know i think what mm. we what, what we what we never discovered through that journey was that the, that what we were solving wasn't a problem um, you know mm. that, that that wasn't the the feedback the feedback wasn't oh you built this thing but it's not really a problem for me it's like you you built this thing it's a really big problem for me but i just can't convince my back end staff to use this um, and so that, that that was a really different conversation to I think probably what many founders experience, which is oh, I built this thing and no one really wants it. It was like, no, I built this thing. People want it. They just, they just didn't want that iteration of it and that that implementation of it. So um, yeah. that was still really strong in the product feedback Is it, it wasn't, this isn't a problem. It's I, I don't want to, like, I can't, basically it was I can't convince my, 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 my document creators to use this in the way that you've set it up. And so we listened to the, the way that we set it up bit and just redid that in a kind of, Completely went from a black box AI to a fully transparent, rules-driven, no-code automation platform. Um, and thankfully that worked well. Um, and it's allowed us to, to grow into and, um, uh, and to get some momentum back and all that sort of thing. Uh, and that's the other thing, by the way, just on how do you how do you keep a team moving? It's momentum. You kind of come to a grinding halt with one product iteration. It's really important in my view to like have those clear conversations around the business that you need to have around reducing staff numbers in certain areas to give yourself enough sort of runway to to get out the other side. And then be really clear about the fact that the problem is a big one, it still exists. There's a really red hot market here for that problem. We just need to iterate on the product and get moving. And so we, we, again, we did that in three months. So that that, that momentum, even, even even though the business kind of momentum stopped, the product momentum never really did,
1: if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. It mm. does.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and so I talked about how hard that was talking to the team. You know, we had we had 23 people at the time uh, and we, we ended up with um, we, we've now got seven. Um, so you can kind of get a, a sense of, of how that that this was two years ago, by the way. So it's taken us a mm-hmm. while to get back here.
1: So you went from 23 people to seven. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. OK, so you had to let a lot of people go during this process. How do, how do you do that without people feeling a loss of momentum?
0: Um, oh, so definitely everyone felt the loss of business momentum. There's no, there's no doubt about that. Like that was really really hard uh, on a lot of people. Right. And we, you know, we we tried our best to you know to look after people during that period and make sure that we found them the next great role. And I, I spent a lot of personal time, um, kind of doing that, and making sure that we we treated people right. Uh, I think that's that's uh, that was that was part of um, part of our culture anyway. Um, and so we felt like we wanted to make sure that that carried through when things weren't going well. We then, so we, we rebuilt, the, rebuilt the product in three months, um, but we needed to then onboard all the customers from product one onto product two, the no code automation system. Uh, and there was no shortcuts around that. That was all a very manual kind of migration process. Mm-hmm the engineering team couldn't help and we no longer had the, the huge team of customer success folk that would have done that work in the past. And so I spent a good month, if not six weeks, you know, sleeping three and four hours a night and just manually crunching through re-onboardings as we, we called them back then, which is, yeah, pretty pretty horrific term. But where you kind of re-onboarding all this content into these mm. templates and, and migrating these customers as quickly as possible a time to make sure that, you know, we still had some customers when we came out the other side of the product pivot. And yeah, so I was a pretty broken human uh, when it came out the other side of that. You asked my wife, I was eyes glazed over. Yeah, no energy, I was, I was pretty stuffed. We had a kid around that time as well, like our first child. So it was mm. a yeah it was, it was a fairly traumatic period for our family, but equally kind of traumatic for the team as well. And I don't think you go through those things unless you've got sort of really high conviction around the problem that it's a problem worth solving. Um, that we could, if we solve this, that more sort of normal everyday people could access really high quality advice when they needed it in the sort of like tough situations that people experience in their life. Um, so I don't think you go through that sort of level of pain if you're, yeah, if you don't have really high conviction that it's a problem worth solving.
1: Right. How, how was that for you feeling? you know, feeling all this stuff going out with the business and your team getting smaller and having this loss of business momentum and then coaching them through, through this major transition that required, that required a large amount of manual work while your wife is also going through a major transition requiring a lot of manual work yeah. that you're wanting in, like needing to be a part of. How, how was that to be living both of these lives and what, what lessons transferred from one to the other?
0: Uh, yeah, um, in, the, in that sort of three-month period when we'd made the decision to do the product pivot, I was re-onboarding all these customers. Uh, I had a child. I, I certainly definitely like wasn't in a good way kind of psychologically. I was sort of being, uh, I would say I, I kind of went into this sort of like mechanical mode just to get through the work, to, to yeah, to, just to make sure that we did all the, the kind of things that needed to be done to get the customers across the other side. But, you know, unfortunately, I, I was in mechanical mode kind of both both at work and at home. Mm. Obviously, wasn't sleeping very much, so, so it was, I didn't have a lot of energy to, to do anything else. So, it was, yeah, there's no getting around the fact it was a really hard time both at home and, and at work. And at the end of all that, ended up kind of taking myself and and getting, kind of doing sort of 10, 10, 12 weeks of therapy, just to sort of, not just sort of reset myself and sort of get back on an even keel kind of psychologically, but also to, to really unpack how I'd got myself into that situation in the first place, where we got the product hypothesis so wrong, and you know had scaled up the team kind of in response to really great sales metrics as opposed to the the sort of underlying product metrics Uh, i really wanted to unpack that decision making Mm. because it it felt really it felt really important to do so i felt like i wouldn't really learn uh, learn all the right lessons if i didn't do that uh yeah that 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 was a really good process to go through Uh, i would encourage anyone who's gone through that kind of hard time to get out there and speak to a professional because they're actually quite helpful at holding up the mirror and teaching you a few things about yourself or helping you learn the things about yourself that you need to learn yeah and for me those learnings were really that i had some blind spots around what those first principles things are you know the focus had always been on the vision where we're gonna take the company, sales are going great, Uh, we're moving really quickly, isn't isn't this good? Way too much focus on those sort of vanity metrics around how well the company's going and not enough focus or weight being given to the actual underlying product stuff that's really important. And so the way that I think now, having gone through this process, is I think from the product up, you know, I obsess about product metrics. I obsess about usage. I obsess about customer to customer to customer. Who's using it more? Who's using it less? Why are they using it less? So kind of gone from, a, from just being a kind of vision-led founder who says, this is the way that I think the world from work and we're going over here and we're going over here as quickly as possible to being someone now who's far more grounded in the reality of a software product and what it takes to actually get it adopted and get it to be used and 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 with a firm belief that if you don't solve that, ultimately your sales will stop. Yeah, that was a journey that I had to go on where I, and, and, and to be honest, it took me a year to find my vision again. Uh, if I'm really honest, I probably went too far the other way in some ways where I was fully vision led, um, growth, 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 to being, Fully product, 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 and just right. kind of like like diving into okay, with these six customers that we've still got, like how do we get them to to use the product? And that's all I was thinking about. And so the business didn't grow probably as fast as it maybe could have in that time because I was you know I was mm-hmm. so focused on getting those product things right and building that foundation. But I feel like I'm coming out of out of that now, and I, I feel like particularly in the last six months, I've been able to find not just the fact that product is working; it's working for 30 customers now, and that's you know, that's that's all good but also that there's a way to solve this problem in professional services more generally. Absolutely. Which we're uniquely positioned to go out there and get. Uh, and I'm excited about that again. And, and that's um, that's that's been a journey to get back there. But I am, I'm really excited about our future and I'm really excited about the connected task space and, and the impact that it can have.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, as my closing question for this episode, how did this learning to integrate the, the vision and the grounding and the processes, how, how did this, this business journey of yours, how does that not show up in your relationship with your, with your partner and your kid?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's a good question. Yeah, I think the main thing is, so, I mean, I've always been, um, yeah, I've always had time for my kid. There's no doubt about that. Like I, I absolutely love, love, love Frankie and um, have always made time for her regardless of whether I'm stressed or not. I think the the big change has probably been more, you know, outside of Frankie, just to to start... Probably a really boring answer, but just the stuff around the house. You know, I used to be the sort of person that would minimise, you know, the need for me to put together an IKEA cabinet because it didn't feel important, because it wasn't important as this big visionary thing that I was doing at work. Mm. Whereas, you know, now I've bought a drill, I'm actually kind of quite excited about putting together some IKEA furniture, and I think that's just being more grounded in the reality of the family and the fact that, uh, and, and you know, enjoying, enjoying those sort of mundane menial tasks and, and, and really kind of being a bit more balanced about seeing them as pretty boring but you know maybe maybe as important as some of the stuff that i need to do at, at work that day and not dismissing them as as unimportant things but but seeing them as important things in terms of contributing to f- to family life and that sort of stuff so so grounding in reality mm-hmm. in business has i think definitely given me a, a greater appreciation for for those sort of mundane everyday things that are the the realities of home life and uh yeah so i feel yeah. i feel a lot more grounded and balanced as a person more generally i think
1: it's like the buddhist term sh- chop wood carry water yeah. Before yeah, enlightenment, e- shop would carry water. After yeah, enlightenment, e- shop would carry water.
0: Exactly. Yeah. So I, I, yeah. I think that's not a bad way to describe it. Yeah. So I'm um, f- feeling good about both worlds at the moment, which is nice.
1: Yeah. Well, amazing, Joel. This has been a really great uh, conversation, and I look forward to seeing how things go for you guys.
0: Thanks very much. Nice to be here.